Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, please. Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 2. Familiar scriptures for this time of year. Verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Let me stop a wee moment there. These sages or astrologers, or wise men as they're called, traversed the desert sands of maybe a thousand miles to come to Jerusalem. And whenever they got to Jerusalem, of course they were in the wrong place looking for him. Well, they were only two miles up the road. But when they came there, it says in verse 2, saying, now that is a continual tense. They kept saying. It appears that they went up and down the streets of Jerusalem continually saying, where is he? Where is he that is born? They were not only consistent, but they were adamant. Because they said, where is he that is born? There was no doubt in their mind at all. No doubt. They didn't say, we heard that he was born, or we think that he might be born. He's born. But where is he that is born? What faith these men had, and they weren't going to go away until they found him. And I trust this morning that you don't leave this meeting until you find him. You see, the first question asked in the Old Testament was God seeking man, Adam, where art thou? The first question in the New Testament was man seeking God, where is he? And that's the way. God moves first. And so these men, uh, how many of them there were, we don't know. But they continually went on saying, where is he? He is born. He is somewhere. And they held on until they were directed to the place that he was. And so were in verse 3, when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. There's nobody can trouble the people like the authorities. There's nobody can put fear into a nation of people like their leaders. And that's what's happening in our land this morning. And when this boy was afraid, they were all afraid. And they were afraid of him too. 
And so the whole country was afraid. Boy, I'm not far off the mark this morning. Verse 4, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written, These boys got the word out. Isn't it very strange that they got the word out and they got to Micah and they found out in the word in Micah he's born in Bethlehem of Judea in Ephrathah. And they never were down. We never read of them. They're two miles down the road and he was born. And he was two years of age about at this time when the wise men came and these boys, these religious boys, had never seen him. And the men from afar, the Gentiles, away from the desert, away from the uh, thousand miles away. And I saw him before them. And I tell you, God's going to move upon the Catholic people in Ireland. And he's going to pass, and he's passing by the Protestant people. Because they've had so much gospel, so much tracts, so many meetings. God's going to rub our nose in it very much politically in every other way before the next year's out. You mark my words. And all these boys never went near him. And we never read of them going to see him. All they wanted to do was to crucify him and nail him to an old cross. That was the religious crowd. Verse 6, And now Bethlehem in the land of Judea are not thou the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. Well, there's no Roman wicked, evil man that sent them to look for Christ. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, Bring me word again that I may come and worship him. Now we know he didn't want to worship him. He wanted to kill him. And when they heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, and notice now he's in a house, he's not in a manger. And you know, all the Christmas cards, you can put them in the bin. When you see that like that, when the wise men come into the manger. They came to a house, he was at least two years of age. And when they came to the house, came onto the house and saw the young child with Mary's mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream, they should not return to Herod, departed into their own country. And notice this, another way. They went home another way. And when you come to Christ and bow at his feet and surrender all to him, you'll start out in another way. May God bless to us the reading of his precious word this morning. The first advent of our Lord Jesus Christ, which happened now over 2,000 years ago, 
and we're about to celebrate it uh, in this coming week. It has a number of peculiarities and similarities to the second coming of the Lord. There's a lot of similarities in the two comings. Sometimes I think that when they're gazing into the cradle, he'll just come in the clouds. But well, come in the clouds. Now, there are many similarities, and I'm going to bring a few of them to you this morning. I'm going to compare them. I'm going to compare them to the situation and where we are in our land and in our nation this morning. The first one was, there was a great darkness, indeed a gross darkness, over the land of Israel. Now that's borne out by the phrase in verse 1, in the days of Herod the king. That tells me a lot. You see, the wicked, the Bible says, rule in darkness. This was the first of the reigning of the evil Herods. There were at least four of them. And this fellow ruled Galilee and Judea with an iron fist, dictated to by his Roman masters, Augustus Caesar. Herod was an Edomite. He was a descendant from Esau, and the whole of the Herods were infested with demonic powers. The first thing he did when he took control, Herod, was he wiped out nearly all the Sanhedrin. That's the 71 Jewish council. And many more, including them. He went on to assassinate two of his nine wives and two of his own sons. And of course, all the Jewish boys under two years of age. So there's a picture of who's leading in these days, in the days of Herod. The children of two years and over and under, he slew them. You know, I was thinking last night, at least, he gave them a chance to get away. Our government and rulers don't give the children a chance to get away. They murder them in the womb. Politically, morally, and spiritually, things couldn't have been any darker than when Christ was born. Now listen to what George Campbell Morgan says. While the land was at peace, it was a false peace. It was an enforced, subjected peace. And then he says this. Rome had bludgeoned the whole nation into submission. No man, no woman, no boy, no girl dare peep, cheep, or mutter, or call their soul their own. They were subjects of tyranny, and they had no redress, no children's rights, no victims' rights, no civil rights. The edicts and the laws of Caesar ordering the whole world and compelling the whole world to come to tax, had no mercy. They drew men and women out of places where they weren't able to come from. At the point of death they had to come, that's why Mary and Joseph traveled 70 miles across the desert, not to register for a passport, 
Not to register for a hundred pound gift for the shops. Not to register for certification of vaccination to control them. But a registration for taxation. A census. Age didn't matter. Distance didn't matter. Infirmity didn't matter. They had to go to register and to give their particulars to the Roman authorities. And as I said, that's why they traveled these miles. Now I want you to listen to what I'm going to say. At least the dictator and controller of the people in those days could be seen. Herod resided in his Herodian palace, looking out over the whole city of Jerusalem and Bethlehem. He went through the streets in his golden chariots and through the towns. Today, we cannot see the dictator. Not yet. Not yet. But he is going to appear. What we're seeing at the moment, John tells us, is the spirit of Antichrist already at work. And it's at work in a big time. I would to God that Christians would get their eyes open. Don't expect the world to slay us when we talk like this. But I would to God the Christians would get their eyes open. This man tomorrow morning, I guarantee you, with his briefcase and his iPad and his suit and his tie, will walk into some office in Brussels. You better believe that. And he's alive and well on planet Earth. And the first thing he'll probably do in the morning is take notice of this boy Frost that has resigned from the cabinet and the government, the EC boy and the Brexit boy. And this boy's just raring to go and all the powers of the devil will be upon him, but he can't go until I go. I'm very important. So are you. But his emissaries and his demons and the spirits are everywhere. If you don't believe that this morning, there are thousands that do believe it. And Catholics that believe it. And ungodly people that believe it. You don't believe it. And when we preach like this now, we're mocked, especially by the church. Scientists and politicians and journalists and epidemiologists don't know. They're just doing his bidding. Because the Bible tells me that the natural man receiveth not the Spirit of God, it's foolishness unto him. That's why they mocked me in the telegraph when I mentioned the Antichrist. It's foolishness unto them. It says in Romans, the foolish heart is darkened, professing to be wise, they become fools. Let me tell you, the devil is busy setting up the new world order. And he has done more in the last 18 months than in the last 18 years. Oh, how the slide is on. And the world and many in the church have been beaten into submission, subjection, and surrender with the greatest weapon of all, the weapon of fear. That's the devil's greatest weapon. 
It's the spirit. It's the spirit of fear. And it's palpitating. If you take time to listen to any news or read any paper, listen to any journalist or listen to any of these scientists, it's fear, 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 fear all the day until the people are demented. We, the people of God, do not give in to the spirit of fear. But he hasn't given us the spirit of fear. I preached one time on things we have that God never gave us. And that's one of them. He never gave us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I'm not saying that COVID is not real, nor I never did. And I'm not saying that we should take all the precautions, and we should. But what I'm saying is there's a sinister, silent predator bringing all this together. And to a measure, he is unchallenged and unhindered to a measure. The church is just letting it get on and they're backing it and supporting it. When did you hear last of a call from any of these big evangelical boys about a day of prayer or a night of prayer. There's not only a political darkness and a moral darkness, but there's a spiritual darkness over our land. Jesus said, talking about this time, he said, this is the hour and the power of darkness. There's a power of darkness. (laughs) Darkness. That's over us. That word power there is a Ability means the ability to control and master our freedom. That's the words of our Lord now. This is the hour and the power of darkness, the ability to control and master our freedom. We'll give you a hundred pounds. We'll give you two jags and a booster. If you give us all of your CV and all about your family and all about your work and all about your past, then we'll give it to you. You just give us that. That's what's going on. Prince Charles, in the COP26 Conference of Parties in Glasgow, that's what it stands for, Conference of Parties, here's what he said, and I have accurately written down exactly, for I heard him, here's what he says. A man is coming, now this is the future King of England, and could be on the throne before the year's out, next year's out. A man is coming with a vast military-style campaign with trillions of dollars at his disposal with a power beyond all government and world leaders. Now, who on earth is he talking about other than the Antichrist? Beyond all government and all world leaders, he'd have a power. My friend... What is going on? They've even brought Santi into it. The eight and ten-year-olds were asked on the television, I'm told there last week, they asked Santi questions. One eight or ten-year-old boy said to Santi, he says, Santi, how do you get into all the houses? What way do you get in through all the houses? He said, through the door. How do you get through the door? Have you a key? No, no, I have a mark on my hand. 
and it opens all the doors for me. Santi's even involved in this. And we're sitting and we're never heard hardly preached on. And when we preach on, we're attacked not by the world, but by many Christians who hold a different doctrine to we hold and as far from the word of God. It was a day of darkness, as dark a day as ever there was when Christ was born. And it's as dark a day when he's going to return as ever there was. But not only a day of darkness, it was a day of sadness. I came across these words in Deuteronomy the other day, and here's what it says. If my people forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them, then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and shall be devour, and shall be devoured, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they'll say, so that they'll say, on that day, God is not among us. Look at our four nations this morning. God is not among us. That's not stretching the imagination to say that. That's truth. In previous times of crises, in our nation, down through the centuries, God was among us. But he's not today. When you scan the horizon and see what's going on in all of the in Wales and Scotland, lands of revival, London, lies and deceit, and in Northern Ireland, a land that's so mightily blessed of God, he's not among us. You tell me, come on, tell me, give me the evidence of it. In previous times when there was a national crisis, there were praying men and women in the nation and there were joint gatherings for prayer. You'll not even get some of the evangelical churches around in Ghana to speak to us and it's just the same all over. Whenever the French Napoleon Bonaparte mustered his great armies, he said, in six hours we'll master the channel and we'll fly the imperial flag on Trafalgar. But what he didn't know was God had men and women in prayer and drove them back and defeated them. When religious Rome had beaten Religious Rome, notice I'm saying now, when religious Rome had beaten Europe into submission with her damnable doctrines of Romanism and substantiation and Mariolity and was beating Europe into submission, there arose men like Martin Luther, Swingley and Calvin, men and others who prayed and cried and turned to God. The Protestant Reformation 
but they're even denying some of them now. In 1940, I had an uncle who with hundreds and thousands, to, let me tell you, hundreds of thousands, there was 335,000 men, soldiers, rescued from Dunkirk. And he was one of them. And their back was against the channel and the Luftwaffe of the Germans were bombing them, bombing them, and there was a storm came and they couldn't fly. He said there was a storm came and the shooting stopped and the bombing stopped and men stopped dying round them. And then after the storm was over, he says there come a black cloud over them. He wasn't unsaved when he, to- he was unsaved when he told me this. He got saved before he died a good while. There was a black cloud hovered over them and covered them and sheltered them until 335,000 of them was rescued from Dunkirk. But what was going on there was prayer and prayer and prayer. King George VI mustered the people to prayer and if you put it up on your YouTube you'll see that maybe a mile or two mile long over Westminster Bridge they came to across there from the House of Commons to, 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 to Westminster Abbey and they prayed and they cried to God and God stayed the enemy and God put the cloud over them until they got out and God drove them back from the Battle of Britain. God moved in the nation, not anymore. Not anymore. And we're in a plight if God doesn't turn up. Oh yes, the second coming, first coming of the Lord was noted with darkness and with great sadness and it was great sadness when an ungodly king had to send the Gentile people seeking God to go and look for him when the religious crowd couldn't be bothered. We'll not go down that lane. Darkness, sadness, but here's the note I want to end on this morning. The first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ as a babe to Bethlehem's manger, was noted with great joyfulness. Great joyfulness. Joy. You see, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. Oh, the thing that blesses me more than anything else in these days is that we have a sovereign God. And we have a God whose timing is perfect. And whether things are dark in your life or not this morning, you remember this, that the darkness will pass. That's my, one of my, my wife's favorite texts. The darkness has passed. And the true light now shineth. <coughs> Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. So you just hold tight. Now you may be in the storm. 
And you may not want even to see Christmas. You'll be just wishing it was over. But his timing has always been perfect. God sent his son and in him was life. And his life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. Men, women, children, all rejoiced at the birth of our Savior. The first two women was Elizabeth and Mary, mothers-to-be. Now hold on what I'm going to say. Once the angel told Mary, you shall conceive and bring forth a son, she fled to the hill country and told her cousin Elizabeth, who was six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And it says, Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, said in in a loud voice, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. That was immediately followed by Mary and the Magnificat. My soul doth magnify the Lord. My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. These two women went into praise. There was more praise in them than the men. God had to shut the mouth of Zacharias. He was just dumb, stuck him dumb. Joseph, he didn't know where, what was going on. You know, sometimes I could shake some of you men in the prayer meetings. And I could shake you harder around the Lord's table. Some of you can't open your mouth. How can you not open your mouth and thank the Lord for saving you when you're looking at the cross? Or, or have you any joy in your heart at all that he has said? Man, open your mouth in the prayer meeting, man, and not, nothing will do you more good. Just explode in prayer and praise, and it'll be better than any tonic you'll ever get. And these boys, as the women was doing the praising. But not only did the women rejoice, now here, the womb rejoiced. And I want you to check this and to make sure that, that I am preaching to you what the truth is because I can tell you that in Luke 1, you needn't turn to it now, in verse 42 and 44, twice, it says the babe, John the Baptist, six months, leaped. And Elizabeth's womb with joy when he heard the news. Now, do you hear that? Six-month-old baby in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, once he heard the noise, heard what has happened, he leaped. Now that word leap is he skipped like a lamb. That's the same word. Do you ever see a wee lamb? <laughs> Boys, we used to let the calves and cattle out in Month of May, you didn't let them out to month of May and for Manifa. You couldn't let them out for the ground was still that wet. 
We used to let them out in the month of May. You want to see them jumping and kicking the heels up. Boy, I'll tell you. Shaking and running and boy. My father used to say, run down and block the gate of the road. We'd have to run down and block the gate in case they get out under the road and the Donegal Road and some of them old cars or buses hit it. This is, this is the same word using. He's using here. Skipped like a lamb in the womb when they heard that Christ was born. We can't open our mouth. Remember Malachi says, and the, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings and you'll go forth as the calves of the stall. Hallelujah. David Steele and Harold Wilson, Labour and Liberal Government of 1967, put the jumping and the dancing in the womb out of 8 million to date. I'm not sure they knew what they were doing. I think I do, I do believe they didn't know what they were doing. But the devil knew. Now notice says twice, the babe, not a fetus, not a thing, not something for an experiment. The babe in the womb jumped at six months. Now they want to kill them at nine months. How sad. How sad. What judgment is coming? Mary and Elizabeth were rejoicing in the pregnancies, not scheming on some way to get rid of their child in a dark day. The dark, dark hour was light in dark places. Take, take, take faith this morning and hold on to it. Not only did the women rejoice and the womb rejoice, but the workers rejoiced, the shepherds on the hill. First to see it. And not only did the womb rejoice and the women rejoice and the workers rejoice, the waiters rejoiced. Simon and Anna, who waited for the consolation of Israel, rejoiced. You see, in his presence there's fullness of joy. And at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That's when we come round this table and when we gather round in the house of God as we're doing this morning. It's the most privileged thing that we could do. Oh, how grateful and thankful we should be that our mothers didn't kill us. I often think of how many thousands and thousands of gifted men and women but God, the Lord, had ordained before time began the many Westries and Spurgeons and Whitfields of the martyred. 
but also the wise men rejoiced. When they finally came to Bethlehem and saw the star over the place, it says they, in verse 10, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. When they saw him and worshipped him, they went home another way. If you came into this meeting this morning sad and lonely and depressed and down, unsaved, backslidden, let me tell you from the authority of God's word and from experience, you can go home another way. You don't have to go home the way you came. No, you don't. But what you have to do is do what these men did. You need to come to the feet of Christ and you need to get down and you need to surrender everything. The gold, the frankincense and the myrrh. We're not going into the meetings of those this morning. You need to surrender all at his feet and worship him this morning and say, Lord, I'm giving all over to you this morning. Many of these people came from afar. I came from afar. Stephen came from afar. Every one of you came from afar. Far off from God in our sins. And we drew nigh unto him. Come to his feet this morning. It's dark. It's an evil day. It's a wicked hour. I don't have to pump that into you. You know that. God only knows what's going to happen, what they're going to do to us before it's over. And I'm asking you to stand with us here. Now, don't... Some of you have started to neglect the prayer meetings on Friday nights. I don't know where you are or what you're doing. But listen, when we get this week of rest and we come into the Monday night and into this night of prayer, I want every praying, even you don't feel like praying in the... Open it. Come in the meeting. Come. But we need to take a stand here. Because the pressure is going to come on like we've never seen it before. And we can't just rest on the laurels of the past. We're, I'm calling you this morning. And those of you who are listening to me far and wide, I'm calling on you this morning. Get in behind these prayer meetings in the new year if he tarries that long. Get in behind this fellowship here. We need men and women here who will stand for God in this dark hour and rejoice in what the Lord's going to do. For he will do what he has promised he'll do. And it's going to be mighty when it comes. And you'll be glad, you'll be glad that you're part of it. You'll be glad. Nothing out there. And the more we go on, my friend, the more we see. Where are these men? Where are these men that stood with placards and told us what to wear and where to go and what not to go and what to read and what not to read? Where are they now? Where are they? Where is the voice coming through the media? 
Listen for it. You'll not hear it. They say this is the worst crisis from World War II. I heard that three times, I think, during the week. If this is the worst crisis from World War II, why are we not doing what King George did? Because God has forsaken. Where are these men? Where are these stalwarts supposed to be of the faith? They've capitulated. May God help us to stand against all that's going on. You can't stand unless you believe it. You need to believe what's going on. I believe this is the spirit of Antichrist. I believe that all the powers of hell will be, will be hammered against this fellowship and this people and these preachers. We need your prayer. We need you to stand. Rejoice with what God is going to do. Let us pray. Father, help us to stand in these days no matter what men think or say or do. Lord, I commit myself this morning to stand for your word, the word that I believe. I take a lesson, Lord, from these wise men, these men that travel all this distance, Lord. They weren't going to give up and they weren't going to go back and they weren't going to go home for they believed by faith that he had been born and he was there and they were going to see him. Lord, by faith they brought those gifts to him. By faith they marched and treaded all down that road. And we thank you for those who travel here for miles, Lord. Oh God, we pray that the we pray, Lord, that the distance will be worth the drive for them. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that thou wilt come and help us to get our eyes of men and other things. We're longing for thee, Lord. We need kindred spirits in these days. We need to stand together, Lord. And, oh, God, our hearts are heavy this morning when we see the fear and all that's going on around us, Lord, and the lies and the deceit, Lord, and the capitulation, Lord, our God, our Father, to the scientists and to those we thank you for all of them the nurses and doctors but oh god where are we going to get the voice to say our eyes are unto the lord this morning our eyes are unto thee lord you've been talk about being neglected talk about being disowned talk about being relegated lord to an old table we have relegated you lord out of the whole picture altogether God, our Father, this morning, I pray that you'll raise up men and women, Lord, in these days, Lord, to stand. Lord, let us begin to take this thing serious. No, they are taking, the world's taking it serious, and we're not. We that have the answer. Father, forgive us this morning for playing games, for playing Christmas. Lord, I pray that there'll be those this morning that will go home another way. How can we come to the feet of Christ and go home the same? How can we ever be the same? Mm. 
Bless us, dear people, Lord, and bless our families and keep us safe and keep us free, Lord, from any attacks of the enemy at this corner. We bind the powers of hell and darkness and lies. Pray for Brother Allen this morning that you'll raise him up. Pray for Jim Hagen this morning that you'll raise him up. Pray for men, Lord Jesus, that are laid low this morning. And we just pray that the breath of God will come. Lord, what will you what will, what do you have to show us, Lord, to make us believe? What are you going to do, Lord, next upon us? Lord of mercy. Lord, let us say before long that God is amongst us. My faith looks up to thee, blessed Lamb of Calvary. Hear me when I pray. Wash all my sins away and make me holy thine. Lord, it matters not whether there's a 10,000 Herods thou art on the throne. 